Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Jonathan Fields. You might know him as the career renegade, but he is an author, entrepreneur, and speaker on the on a mission, I should say, to help individuals and organizations cultivate the personal practices. Um, he's also the author of a new book that we're going to talk about today called Uncertainty, Turning Fear and Doubt into Fuel for Brilliance. So, Jonathan, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good to be here. So, you start... Um, some of your promotion for this book actually starts out with a story that you tell about, um, I guess, a moment of your own great uncertainty, <laughs> um, and that uh, was right after 9-11 and, and starting yeah. a business. You want to um, – first off, I'm, I'm going to tell people, and you should tell people where to go to see this video because it's uh, – it's, um, it's just great storytelling and it's and it's a great story. Um, but uh, just kind of give us a little little flavor for that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, you can find the video at theuncertaintybook.com, and it's just right on top of the page, so you have to search for it. Um, the, the video, is, it's a short video, it's three and a half minutes, and I was looking to create something which is really simple, really straightforward, and just um, one-on-one storytelling in a video format, and also touched on why, you know, one of the big reasons that I, that I wrote the book, and, and it took me back to a point just after 9-11, and I'm in New York City, so I was there that day, and... Um, and, and, you know, there were anyone who was in New York that time knew people um, that were in the towers that they lost. And uh, there was an experience I had, I believe it was that evening, where we went up to uh, the, the the wife's house of um, a friend who was in one of the towers who was lost that day. And they were waiting because they didn't know. And um, and it was it was an experience where we, we were, it was just a moment in time where I was in the room with her two-and-a-half-year-old son, and I was putting him to bed knowing, you know, that he would probably never see his dad and. And um, it flipped the switch in me, and uh, it kind of really awakened me to uh, an exploration of, of what it is I want out of my working life and probably my bigger life, and also why people don't act. And and that was, it's a question that I've explored for a, a long time, for a lot of years, but also um, that was one of those big moments that kind of said, you know, I, I need to turn my attention to some bigger questions in my life and also explore on a bigger level, you know, like what makes people tick. And um, so I shared that story in, in the video and um, and I want to do it in sort of a, a very non-commercial way. I really just you know there's actually no call to action in the entire video to buy the book. It's really um, uh, it, it's much more. I want to create something with standalone value. So whether you bought the book or not, just watching the video was something that was a compelling experience for you. Um, I have uh, for years uh, used uh, the the term. I've owned a small business for over 25 years, and and you know a lot of what I've sort of learned i wouldn't say i can you know categorize scientifically or intentionally but that um that i'm actually grown quite comfortable with chaos um and to to the point where in fact i get really kind of uptight and nervous if things seem to be going too well i mean is that is is there there something wrong with me um no but you may you know there are kind of two possibilities here and this is one of the big questions i had going into the book are guys like you is it genetic or is it trained right you know, and, um, and and it's fascinating because there is what I discovered through interviewing a ton of people um, at the highest levels of business and art and, and across all creative spheres is that there's probably a very thin slice of people who are just sort of genetically more better oriented to handle leaning into uncertainty to taking action in that place and and not suffering so much. But the vast majority of people actually experience a fair amount of anxiety and suffering. 
Um, but then the question is, you know, if, if it's trainable to get over that, and, and in fact it is, um, you, there are a lot of things that you can do to, to be much more comfortable. But then the question with somebody like you is, okay, did you come onto the planet, just that one of that thin slice of people who's okay in that place, or over a period of those 25 years where you're an entrepreneur, have you created scaffolding? Have you created practices and processes and just your daily working life, maybe without even thinking about it, that allow you to be a lot more comfortable in that place? And like, like you said, potentially even invite more of it in the name of creating cooler stuff. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's obviously a very interesting point because, you know, when I started my business, I, I, I'm sure there was a lot of fear and, un- and uncertainty. But, you know, I think a lot of, of business owners, if they survive at all, I mean, they charge into stuff saying, I don't have any idea how I'm going to do this, but I know yeah. I got to. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, okay, I'm a professional speaker. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've never given a speech, you know, but somebody wanted me to. How hard could it be? And I, and I think that that... Right. that you know, the, the, then the flip side of that, though, of course, and I think a lot of what you address is that there are also people that just say, you know, I can't really do that. I can't do that. I'm, you know, I've, I've got to yeah. stay in this job I hate for, you know, 40 years because I don't know what else. I don't know what's on the other side of that. Yeah. And, and then there are people like, um, you know, like for, let, look at you, for example, right? I mean, we know that you spend a good chunk of your day working, not sitting at a desk, but walking at a desk. Yeah. Right, and um, so like every day, you're actually exercising. You're at a low level, but consistently every single day. And you know, one of the you know there are a whole bunch of things that I sort of explore in the book. But one of the the single biggest force multipliers to help deal with um, that uneasy feeling when you're going to that place where you just don't know how it's going to end is exercise. Is it literally a daily exercise practice? It because it doesn't just change your body's physiology. It actually changes your brain chemistry in a way that allows you a much higher level of baseline calm. When you're going to that point, you don't know how things are going to end. So that's a practice where, for you, you probably do it for entirely different reasons. But it has this secondary effect of having a pretty profound, uh, you know, like shift in your neurophysiology that lets you be a lot more comfortable. It'd be interesting to like experiment. What if you forced yourself to just sit at a desk and work all day and stop exercising for the next six months? I'm guessing psychologically how you experience your work would change in, in a pretty major way. And, and I'm not suggesting you do that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I totally, I mean, I totally agree with that. I, you know, you talk about the, 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 the walking computer treadmill thing that, uh, that I have. Uh, that really is just to get me off my butt. You know, that's not really exercise. Yeah. But, but there's no question that um, there are a lot of days, um, because I juggle a lot and try to get a lot done, there are a lot of days I'm pretty stressed out. It's sort of self-imposed. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, I've, I, I, I feel exactly what you just talked about. I've gotten to the point where I can actually feel that. I can go out and run and go, oh, wow, all of a sudden I'm more creative, um, yeah. but, you know, on top of having more energy and being in a better mood. <laughs> yeah, so, and the really cool thing is, is, you know, like it used to be we just have to sort of rely on anecdotally, but now there's actually really strong research behind that, which right. shows that, no, this is actually really, this is real phenomenon, and it's it's so simple, it's so straightforward, and, um, you know, it, it becomes really hard to, Justify not just you know adopting basic practices like that. If you're in, you know if you're out there trying to create really cool stuff in the world. Now um, you mentioned a term, and I, I I intended to ask you about this term because I've heard you say it before. So I, I don't want to gloss over that. Uh, you, meant, you you said the term um, scaffolding, building um, uncertainty, yeah. uh, scaffolding, and and I think that that's I think a lot of times we can sit around and talk about oh yeah you just got to go through the fear right you know just push through right. um, but but but. You're actually, you've actually offered some things that I would say are prescriptive for that person that, that probably yeah. says, okay, I know I have to, but how? I can't. So yeah, talk, exactly. So talk about I mean, that scaffolding. What do you mean by that? Because I think that's yeah, a great absolutely. concept. So, 
So we've all heard that conversation. Well, you know, like for you to be really good an entrepreneur or a good creator in anywhere, you you've got to be comfortable with uncertainty. You've got to be comfortable with ambiguity. That's one of the defining traits. And I'm saying to myself, framing it as a trait is actually a really bad thing because trait implies that it's just it's you either have it or you don't. Yeah. And yeah. and that's in fact not true. Um so it's 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 basically a set of behaviors that allow you to be okay in that place. So you know, the question becomes like is you know, what do you do? You know, and so this whole book is not an exploration of whether it's it's important to be comfortable in this place or not. We all know it is. It's about, okay, if you don't have that skill set, what is it? And I basically, you know, through looking at a whole bunch of research and looking at, at a ton of interviewing, I, I ended up in, with three categories of things. And one is workflow adaptations. One is um, uh, daily personal practices. E- exercises is one of the examples. Um, and the third one is uh, environmental or, or cultural shifts that you can make. And, you know, you, you look at different things in each one of these categories, and they can individually, each one can make a little difference. When you start to stack on top of, you know, each one on top of each other and you start to really bring in a lot of them, they become just these really profound force multipliers and allowing you to develop a level of, of baseline calm where you can not only tolerate the uncertainty and the anxiety that goes along with it, but literally go out and invite and even amplify it in the name of creating really cool stuff. Well, and so are you suggesting that, that just that point, that, that it's not just about kind of stepping outside your comfort zone. You're actually saying that in order to really create cool stuff, you actually have to uh, generate uncertainty. Yeah, I, I am. You have to take yourself to a place where you don't know how it's going to end. I mean, think about it. You know, when you're starting a business, right, or, or whether you're just trying to grow a business that you've had for a while, um, there's no way to do something really cool. There's no way to take your business to the next level by waiting for perfect information. It doesn't happen that way. You'll sit and wait forever. So we have to go to a place where we're literally... We are proactively taking ourselves to a place where we have to take action. We have to be in a place of uncertainty where we don't know how it's going to end because that's the place where we, we take the big leap. That's where we create a bigger, better solution, more relationships. Um, we change the business model. We evolve to the next level, but it's scary. Um, it terrifies a lot of people. But So, yeah, there, there are people who deliberately go out and actually seek to go to this place in the name of accelerating what they're trying to build. Yeah, so, the, the, big, the big challenge is how to not have that place kill you. <laughs> well, well, or, you know, we, we, I, could, I could listen to some of them. I can hear some of my more cynical um, <laughs> listeners suggesting, well, is that just an excuse for putting sloppy stuff out? I don't know how this is going to work. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really yeah. uncertain about this product, but, hey, let's, let's see what the market thinks. Yeah, no, and, and, and I totally get that question, and, and the answer is not at all, you know. Um, it, it may mean that you take years to do something, which is fantastic, but what it means is that you keep moving forward. And, and there are two things that this real discomfort um, tends to make us do, actually, and they're opposite ends of the spectrum. One is it paralyzes us. It just stops us from moving forward. Two is it actually accelerates us. It makes us race so fast to try and get things out to the end, to get things to market, to ship, that along the way we miss so many options and opportunities that would have made this thing profoundly better in the name of just not not wanting to feel this discomfort anymore. Right. So you have to kind of be on high alert for both of those phenomenon because you can actually, you know, this same phenomenon can shut you down, but the same thing can actually make you go so fast just because you don't want to be uncomfortable anymore that you start, like you said, you're putting out garbage. Yeah. And you have to really be on alert for both of those. Yeah, and I think I have actually been um, putting out there for years. This this you know comes somewhat from experience of of you know seeing stuff work this way, where where I, maybe I have kind of this cool idea or this thing that I know I want to create, 
but I really don't know how it's going to happen. But I, I've really you, you kind of learn over time to sort of detach from the how, and, and that's you know maybe a little bit of the uncertainty that I or how I kind of manifest this idea of uncertainty. I mean, I, I try to make right actions and do right things, but but really kind of not getting just so bent on this is how it has to happen. Yeah, and, and in fact, that's one of the big lessons that came out of the book is that uh, as I'm talking to all these super high-level creators, you know, like C-level executives to world-class artists and authors, and they're all telling me, you know, you can create really good work in the world by basically following the plan, by sticking to the plan, by having your outline and doing it. But they, to the one, they said, great stuff doesn't happen that way. Great stuff happens when you have a plan going in, but you remain so open to the possibility that your plan is wrong that you allow all sorts of things that you never imagined would even present themselves to enter into and, and change, you know, what you're going to do and just basically take it where it needs to go. And, you know, you and I both know in, in the business world, one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs and, and, and anyone in, in larger corporations even make is thinking that they know everything. Certainty is actually one of the biggest killers of businesses because when you're certain of something, then you refuse to consider other options or the possibility that there are better things out there. And then you leave on the floor so many opportunities to take your business to a radically better place because you're just sticking to the plan because you don't want to be in that uncomfortable place because you just know all the answers. Um, yeah. You know, certainty can actually be terrible for business. Yeah, there's a great um, song lyric, and I think this. I think the singer was actually talking about her uh, her soon to be ex husband, and she mm -hmm. said he was frequently wrong but never in doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love that. <laughs> great. So, so um, one of the things that you prescribe or talk about, I'm going to kind of, uh, we'll, we'll run out of time before we get through my whole list, but there's a couple things that I also want you to touch on. Um, one of the things you talk about frequently in the book is, is making actual changes to your workflow, and, and yeah. maybe we've touched on that a little bit, but you want to give a couple of thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, there's some fundamental things that you can do. There's some big sweeping things, but most people don't like big sweeping things, so there's some right. basic things. You know, um, one basic thing that, that um, is, is really kind of fascinating is, is um, ritualizing your workflow so that you sort of do the same thing in, in the, or at least in the big blocks of time. You, know, you sit down at the same time and you work at the same time for the same windows. But one of the really fascinating rituals, too, um, and this is based on, on a really emerging understanding of, of the way the brain works, is, is ritualizing into bursts of no more than 90 minutes of mm -hmm. intense focus at any given time. Because we know now that after about 90 minutes, you're, you fall apart. And you may be in front of the screen, you may think you're working, you may be banging at the keys, or, you know, like, but the truth is your productivity, your creativity, your, your, really starts to plummet. And the part of your brain that controls willpower, that keeps all the mean, nasty anxiety and fear at bay, starts to get depleted. And all that stuff starts to rear up. And that becomes massive distraction. It becomes, you know, we, we're, that, that turns into Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know, like <laughs> random phone calls, you know, like random apps and games. Um, yeah. Because we we just we can't you lose focus and you lose the ability to take action in that place where it makes you uncomfortable because you, the, the fear centers in your brain kind of start to ride free. So yeah, a, a really su super simple but powerful thing to do is to work in ninety minute pulses rather than just powering mm -hmm. for hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I actually wrote a blog post recently where I, I kind of gave people my sort of ritual day, and uh, one of the things that I shared that's been true for me for a lot of years is not only kind of the ninety minute burst but also I've developed times of the day where I know I'm better. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's just sort of, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's a neuroscientist or a physiologist that would say, well, yeah, you've got this going on. But, you know, there, there are times when I get a lot more done <laughs> for whatever reason. And, and I've just started to kind of say, okay, I need to schedule that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I talk about in the book is that we all have a particular rhythm, which is different from anyone else. And, and if you work in an environment where you can actually control the times when you work, it's a huge gift because there, there are like, you know, and a lot of the times that sort of a, as a general rule, people are the least productive, least creative, and most anxious is like smack in the middle of the traditional work day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which, which is, and I, I'm the same way as you. Like I have control over my day, so I tend to work at really odd hours because I, I just know that it's things just hum on a totally different level if I can if I can work around my sort of inner rhythms. Yeah, I mean, there have been days where I've just, as you said, I've checked my email for the 147th time <laughs> and gotten essentially nothing done all day. And then the last, you know, from three to five, I, I did like a week's worth of work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a friend Paul Lemberg who works with all these C level executives, and he, at one point he had 500, um, you know, like basically CEOs in a room, and he said, out of an eight or nine hour work day. How many of those hours do you believe you're actually doing real, genuine, high-level productive work? The average was two and a half hours. Yeah, no, well, I believe that completely. Um, last thing I want to touch on is uh, this this concept of creating or building uh, creation hives. I love that one. Yeah. So, so you know, the, it, it's kind of fascinating. And I was looking at um, I was looking at these sort of communal environments. Everything from artists who you know have worked that way for hundreds of years to this really recent phenomenon, this the super hot thing in tech entrepreneurship these days is something called seed accelerators, like Y Combinator and Techstars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so I spent a lot of time looking at their models. And these guys, in 12 weeks, you have you know, founding teams creating just insane, insane things. You know, the productivity, the creativity, they'll literally, they'll change business model and platforms and technology three times in a 12-week window. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and I was thinking, what allows people to do that and be okay with it? And, there's some really interesting elements of that sort of like intense creation hive environment that changes what normally happens in the outside world, and and one of them is, um, one of them is exposure to intense mentoring within that setting. Another one is um, a real a, a huge shift in the judgment dynamic. We tend to be terrified of judgment. That's one of the biggest fears, and we shut down because we don't want to be judged for having taken a big risk and then being wrong, and then everyone saying, "Well, you're an idiot. You know, like you never yeah. did that in the first place." These environments completely change that dynamic. We need judgment because we need feedback. That's the only way we progress. But what these environments do is they level the playing field. They level the judgment playing field. So it's all in. Everybody knows that on a weekly basis they get exposed to it. Nobody's immune. And that kind of normalizes it and makes everyone okay with it. And And they invite it from the other people in the hive. And that allows a huge amount of acceleration because you're getting such in depth feedback on a regular basis. Well, awesome point. How about those poor people that that don't even get the chance to start the business? People tell them they're idiots before they even try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the, the cool thing is because a lot of people are like, well, yeah, that's nice if you're in tech stars and like combinator, but you know, like that's not the rest of the world. Really cool thing is like what you and I have done. If you just get a baseline handle on social technology these days, which is free, yeah. it's yeah. pretty easy to actually start to create a lot of the same dynamic your your own just out on the internet. Yeah, and I think that there's a uh, um, on, on top of that. That, that feedback um, or judgment, as you called it, I, I think there's also just sort of an accountability aspect to that, too. Absolutely. Uh, if you're putting that stuff out. So I've been talking with Jonathan Fields. He has uh, put out a crazy good book called Uncertainty, Turning Fear and Doubt into Fuel for Brilliance. And, Jonathan, we are out of time, but uh, I know that I will probably see you soon out there. You're probably going to Blog World. Yeah, I'll see you there. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, and looking forward to uh, seeing uh, more and more about this great book. Thank you so much. It's great hanging out with you. Thanks, man.